This JMR podcast is sponsored by the Journal of Medical Regulation, serving for over a century as the premier publication on physician licensure, discipline, and regulation. To learn more, visit jmronline.org. Welcome to the JMR podcast. I'm David Johnson, your host for today's podcast, and we are recording on January 29th, 2024. Our guests today are Dr. Lois Nora, who is Professor of Neurology and Family and Community Medicine at Northeast Ohio Medical University's College of Medicine, and Ms. Sheila De La Cruz, a research associate with Boston Children's Hospital. Ms. De La Cruz and Dr. Nora are two of the authors for what I think is just a wonderful article running in the current issue of JMR. Their article is Telling Her Story exploring the role of women in U.S. professional medical regulation through FSMB publications. And along with their co-authors, Carol Clothier and Terry Stratton, my two guests relate just a fascinating look at the historical record for women in medical regulation. So Ms. De La Cruz, Dr. Nora, welcome to the JMR podcast. Thank you, Mr. Johnson. Delighted to be here. Likewise, thank you so much, Mr. Johnson. Well, let's jump right in then. Dr. Nora, your article provides what feels like really a deep dive into the photographic history of the FSMB and the state medical board community. I'm curious what led to this particular line of research. I have a very long history, long interest in the history of women in medicine. And when I was privileged to lead the American Board of Medical Specialties, I realized that the history of women in professional regulation, both medical licensure and board certification, did not seem to me to be well-researched, and yet it seemed to be very interesting. In 2018, I was a fellow in the Advanced Leadership Initiative at Harvard University, and I decided to make this one of my focuses of interest, the history of women in professional regulation. During the summer of 2018, I was fortunate enough to meet Sheila, who was a Roosevelt scholar and a rising sophomore at Harvard College. And we began to work together that summer. And actually, Sheila was the one who really stimulated the interest in us looking at photographs. Sheila, do you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I would love to, Lois. Uh, as Lois was saying, that summer of 2018 going to 2019, one of my goals was to learn about how creative methods could be used to tell a better story about how there may be groups that are traditionally underrepresented and how we can better recognize and tell those stories. And at the time that Lois and I met as well, I had actually finished taking a class on how archives at the Radcliffe Schlesinger Library could be used to better understand the, the lives of some of these key women in medicine. And that was a big interest going forward and an excellent opportunity for collaboration. Well, it sounds like this was a nice blend of you know personal and professional interest for both of you in many ways. Uh, Sheila, I, I wonder, you know, since this is a very specific type of historical evidence that serves as the centerpiece of the research, you know, specifically photographs. How did you go about structuring the research and analysis that went into this? 
I'm happy to speak a little bit about that. Um, I think that there were two main approaches that we had, both a quantitative and qualitative. And uh, when I uh, when I first met Lois, really, I uh, was fascinated by some of this history that was based off of interview methods or more of this qualitative approach. Um, and I had an interest in looking at some of the more qualitative components as well. And this came from figuring a, out a system to categorize um, details that we saw within the photographs and then be able to have more of that quantitative analysis too. And I think that this really was a blend of interdisciplinary approaches to learn about the history of women in medicine and to combine both of those interests. Lois, I'm happy to also hear some of your thoughts on that too. Well, we were incredibly fortunate because the Federation of State Medical Boards has really done remarkable work with their archives and the like. And so during that summer, we were very fortunate that FSMB welcomed us into the archives and we realized as we were going through a hundred years of journals that there were pictures dating from 1913. And so this fit in really well with some of the pre-work that Sheila had done in terms of educating our team about how photographs can be used and looked at. So for each photograph, we had two individuals look at each photo, and this was over 1,600 photographs, and categorize them according to a number of characteristics. The number of people in the picture, the apparent sex of the people in the picture, um, the type of photograph, whether it was a headshot, a candid, a staged picture. Um, and if it was a single person, we tried to identify the organization that they were from and their apparent activity. Now, much of that data does not necessarily figure into the current article. We hope it'll be the subject, perhaps, of articles in the future. Um, what we did in the current article was use all that information that we got and talk about some of the major themes that we saw in the pictures. Well, you know, since you shared that on the methodology and some of what you found, I, I wonder if you could describe some of the findings of the research, perhaps at a high level, a bit of an overview of what you saw in going through all of these 1,600 approximately photographs. I'm happy to start, and then I'm sure Sheila will join in. Um, there were several themes. One of the themes that we saw was that, of course, women were pictured far less frequently than men were, although there, this changed over time. And in, uh, in the 1990s, women began to be really pictured far more frequently than they had been during earlier periods of time. A second theme that we found was that from the earliest days that we saw women in pictures through the 1970s, they were frequently pictured in what we call distaff roles. Distaff meaning um, roles that were socially acceptable for women during those times. And we noted that many of the women who had been involved in the work of state medical boards and the Federation of State Medical Boards had distaff roles in terms of being secretarial support or the like for the boards or the board leaders, and 
as volunteers in that many of the women that were pictured were wives of people that worked with FSMB or with the state medical boards um, and were present in social occasions and the like. There was a gradual emergence um, during the 1970s, particularly showing women as speakers, teaching and beginning to take on leadership roles. And then a real shift in the 1980s and early 1990s to women in leadership roles at the state medical boards and in the federation as well. That, you know, that's very helpful to get just this kind of high-level sense of what you saw. So I would like to ask both of you, uh, Dr. Nora, Sheila, were there surprises along the way in the research? And on the flip side, were there things you found that was not, that were not a surprise at all. So perhaps each one of you could take a stab at that. Surprises and things that did not surprise. Yeah, I'm happy to begin with a little bit of that. Um, I believe that one of the surprises that I had while looking through the research was um, realizing how complex it is to um, be uh, involved in let me take a step back, actually. I'll begin with sure. what does not surprise me, if I can go back. Okay. <laughs> All right. Um, I think that something that was a little bit less surprising going in is that there were some expectations already of what would likely happen based off of a larger historical frame about um, the history of women outside of, as well, the sphere of medical regulation. Um, and it was not surprising, for example, as Dr. Nora mentioned, that we had fewer representation of women um, in some of these photographs and some of these categories. I think that what was more interesting based off of that work was how these photographs could be used to um, notice details that otherwise would have been missed. And I think that's the bigger picture that I took in going into this project is finding what are certain spaces that we otherwise would not have noticed, whether that is um, the way that a photograph is used to see someone in a headshot setting while in a certain leadership role versus someone who is seen in a social setting and still having that same leadership role. And so I think these are more interesting themes to um, be able to explore further. And that was something that was of interest. And I'm happy to pass that on over to you, Lois. Thank you, Sheila. I, I actually think that is something that I learned as well. Just this whole history, this rich body of people that perhaps we would not have known about had we not been looking at pictures. Um, I was fascinated uh, by looking through the pictures to really become more familiar with Dr. Edith Levitt, who was not involved with the Federation per se, but was the president of the National Board of Medical Examiners for many of the years and very, very involved in, in the work of professional regulation. I, I became very intrigued by her, and she is someone that we are trying to do some future research on. I don't know if it surprised me or didn't, but one of the big issues in the business literature has to do with the value that diversity brings to an organization 
in terms of business outcomes as well as many other reasons, but how difficult it can be to successfully introduce diversity. And one of the things that, um, it was a little outside the study, but one of the photographs that we have in the uh, article is a picture of the current board of the Federation of State Medical Boards. And the diversity that is reflected in that board picture, talking about professional diversity, state diversity, um, medical diversity, public members, in addition to other parts of diversity, is really impressive. And I think that gave me pause and made me think about what is it about the Federation of State Medical Boards that might have contributed to, over time, such successful um, introduction of diversity in its governance and leadership. In some ways, the FSMB was later than some of the other organizations in medicine. And yet to look at how successfully its current board picture would suggest it has been really uh, makes me think that there are some lessons to be learned there. Well, that's really interesting because I, you're right. It, it is a striking photograph when you compare, you know, pictures of the Federation's governance, you know, 50, 60 years ago and all the, the, the complete lack of diversity in, in those earlier eras. Uh, Dr. Nora Sheila, one of the things that really jumped out to me as I read through your article was the notion of mentorship, because it, it appears to have been a very important factor in sort of accelerating some of this diversity and, and frankly, the opportunities for women in medical regulation. So I, I wonder if you could talk a little bit about that, because you, you've already alluded to essentially, I think, someone that's... Uh, only now getting some full appreciation for her role, Edith Levitt, at NBME. I'm happy to begin a little bit on this. Um, with the role of mentorship, I first have to begin with just sharing a little bit of a personal um, note of gratitude to Dr. Nora and her tremendous role with mentorship in advancing this work. I think that's more of a personal contribution that um, would not be possible without her role. Um, and I think that going into the larger picture as well of the um, of the article as well that there is a role that can be said um, for many of the other women as well who may otherwise not have been represented um, without having some level of visibility. And yes, happy to share that to you as well, Lois. Well, thank you. That's a very generous comment, Sheila. Um, I, I would say that in some ways, uh, this real underscoring, less from the pictures we've really gotten from the work that we've begun doing on with oral histories. Um, so the oral history project um, is kind of the next step in the work that we're doing on women in professional regulation. And thus far, we've conducted over... 30 interviews with 20 different uh, individuals. And one of the things that we have heard from 
staff members, volunteers, professional members who have been involved in the work of medical, of professional regulation, both medical licensure and board certification, is the importance of mentorship that they received along the way. Early on in the 80s and 90s, it, it really appears that um, oftentimes at the very beginning, there were key men, and Mr. Dale Breeden is, is an example um, and Brian, Dr. Bryant Galusha is another example of names that we kept hearing of people that were important within the Federation world who encouraged and advanced and, and sponsored women for some opportunities um, and certainly helped do some of the um, training as well as encouragement. And then we also hear that as some of those women came into place, how women later than them identified that it was groups of women who were coming together and supporting each other. So this mentorship and sponsorship um, of people who had achieved um, recognition and uh, within the Federation world was incredibly important. Well, you know, you, you've alluded to some articles in the future that you have in mind and uh, the work you've been doing with some accompanying oral history. Certainly, your article suggests there's pretty significant opportunities for additional research. Uh, I thought I'd just ask you if you wanted to talk a little bit about what those things might involve. And it, specifically, you might want to say a little bit about the oral history project that you're involved in at this time. Well, I'll begin with the oral history project, but I do believe there's a huge number of things that we would encourage all scholars to be involved with. Our oral history project is an attempt to really get the oral histories of women who have been part of this robust history of women in professional regulation. We are talking to individuals who have been volunteers or staff members, professional members at state medical boards, the Federation, and within the certifying boards as well to ask questions about their history as women in medicine or women in the supportive professions of medical professional regulation, what their stories have been, what they have attributed their success to, some of the challenges that they have had and insights that they have had from this history. Um, certainly we are always interested in talking to women or hearing the names of women that others think that we should be talking to. And so much of the work that we're doing, we're just incredibly grateful to the, to the individuals predominantly women, but also men who have chosen to, spoke to, us, to speak to us about the important um, role of women in professional regulation. But there are many topics. First, I think the individual stories of women are very interesting. What were some of the facilitators and barriers to women's success in being involved in professional regulation? Why were women apparently more successful in some of the area, other areas of medicine, the association world and the like, 
you know, a few decades earlier before professional regulation. Mm-hmm. And then I think one of the most interesting questions right now is, do women change the conversation um, among the boards when things are being considered? Um, and what implications does that have? Well, you know, I would hope, as you mentioned, some of those opportunities for additional research that any of our listeners who themselves are are perhaps aware of, you know, trailblazers on their own medical boards, you know, the majority of which I would say it wasn't until the 1970s or 80s where women began to appear in any numbers or same with persons of color on those medical boards. Uh, Perhaps they'd be able to reach reach out to you and uh, provide some additional leads. That would be incredibly appreciated. And you're bringing up a very important point, which is that individuals of color also, um, it really was not until the 90s and the early 2000s that we begin to see um, the the presence of those individuals in leadership. Absolutely. So uh, let let me conclude this way. What would you like for your listeners to take away from this conversation today? One of the main takeaways that I think could be helpful for viewers would be to um, note how the spirit of collaboration can really help move forward different ideas of knowledge and being able to do that through both um, the world of history and of looking at archives and also being able to incorporate that through, again, this interdisciplinary approach um, of quantitative methods or of um, utilizing those methodologies and then implementing them as well into the world of medical regulation. I think that that can be of great help. And then to really emphasize again this role of mentorship and how as a community of diverse um, backgrounds, professions, um, whatever it may be, that there is a a lot that we can gain from um, sharing the knowledge that we have and moving it forward. And yeah, I would love to hear as well, Lois, from you. Sure. I think I would um, maybe identify three things. First, that there is an extraordinarily rich history of women in professional regulation from its very beginnings. The women that were there behind the scenes assisting other individuals all the way through the century to women in major leadership roles in professional regulation. The second thing that I would point out, and this is one of the major things I learned from this focus on photographs, oftentimes to really understand or to see the history of non-majority groups in a particular area it may not be the written words you go to necessarily but some of the ephemera or other things around it and so photographs really provided an interesting opportunity to do that and then third and we didn't talk about this but i think it's a fun part of the article in the very first period, which extended from 1910s through the 1950s, what we call period one, mm-hmm. there were very few photographs of women, but some of them were of women who were criminals or the like because the, the 
Federation uh, publications were used early on by the FBI and by others to warn people of criminals and bad actors. And so it was fun to see some of the pictures of women who were imposters as, you know, using fraudulent physician licenses or women as subjects of FBI like wanted ads within the journal. So I think those are included in the article as well and, and offer, you know, some interesting insights into the history of the, of the publications. I, I'm glad you mentioned that because that is perhaps a very um, unexpected feature of some of the early years of the Federation's publications that people might not think of or anticipate it. And, well, in addition, we now have uh, the entire archive of the JMR through 1930 available through JSTOR for, to really assist scholars, so hopefully we can make this more accessible. And we're in the process of getting that first 20 years when there's so many of those types of photos you just described. I'd also like to note, David, that you have done some very important work on the history of women in professional regulation through your armchair historian blog. And then I would also note, David, that maybe you want to recognize that you, if I'm not mistaken, I've seen a book you've written about some of the miscreants around professional <laughs> regulation. So... <laughs> This is true. I, I do have at least one book, Diploma Mail, that deals with some of these uh, ne'er-do-wells and uh, bad actors, as you describe them. And there's another article that talked about the, the same kind of activity with the Diploma Mail in the 1920s. So it's, our listeners may be surprised in some ways that there is much, as much sort of a color to uh, some of this history as there is that has almost a bit of an entertainment value as well. Yes. <laughs> I appreciate that uh, that's sounding. Well, listen, I would like to thank our guests, Dr. Lois Nora and Ms. Sheila De La Cruz for sharing the, their thoughts on their current article. And if you're interested in reading this article for yourself, which I very much encourage, please visit jmronline.org. And I hope you'll join us for the next JMR podcast. Have a great day. This JMR podcast is sponsored by the Journal of Medical Regulation serving for over a century as the premier publication on physician licensure, discipline, and regulation. To learn more, visit jmronline.org.